0: Hey, well, happy uh, post-Thanksgiving uh, weekend, week, whatever it is that you're watching this. I hope you had a great uh, Thanksgiving. As our house, uh, we call it Skiven. Uh, before we jump in, I want to invite you, if you're watching this uh, in real time, uh, this coming Saturday, the 2nd at 5.30, we're going to kick off this Christmas season uh, with the worship night, uh, praising Jesus, singing some carols together. It's going to be a great time. I invite you to come out 5.30, uh, December 2nd, at the Norton Campus. We're going to jump uh, right in today. So if you guys got your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 3, and we're going to pick up at verse uh, 22, and we're going just going to jump right in today. Um, if we're glad that you're here, by the way, I would love to hear from you. If you're somebody who watches online uh, pretty often, please email us. It's so helpful to know just who's engaged in this way and who we're connecting with. But as we jump right in, John three twenty-two it says this. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. After what? After, after this conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. You see this in John chapter 3. There's this Pharisee, this religious leader who meets Jesus at night, has these questions. This is where we see John 3.16 play out. It comes before John 22. It says, uh, and the, they went to the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. So Jesus' disciples were baptizing uh, people. Now, John, this is John the Baptist, different than uh, John who's writing the book. John who's writing the book is one of the disciples. John the Baptist uh, is Jesus's cousin who's baptized uh, Jesus. So now, John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. Says so this was before John was put in prison. Later on, he'd be imprisoned and, and beheaded. And an argument developed between some of John's disciples, in a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. So there's a little debate going on. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, John was also a teacher that called him Rabbi, just as they did Jesus. That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, they're pointing to Jesus. The one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him you can you can almost hear the jealousy. Now, it's so important to kind of paint this picture of who John the Baptist is. As I said, John the Baptist is Jesus's cousin, right? If you look in the early chapters of Luke, we kind of see the birth of John foretold. We see his birth, that he was cousins. His, as Jesus's parents were very young, John's parents were very old. And we see the story of John the Baptist. It's important to note, John the Baptist had a real successful ministry like people were following him, people were, he was an interesting guy, right? And he had a big following, right? A lot of TikTok followers. In the Old Testament, you see all these different prophets. And John was kind of this, this pointing towards of this prophet. He was kind of, there hasn't been a prophet in in years and years and years and years, hundreds of years. And then John comes on the scene and he's a prophet. Malachi would say that he come, an earlier prophet said that, that a man would come to prepare the way for Jesus. That's John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the opening act. If you've ever gone to see a band or a comedian or whatever it is, usually there's an opening act, right? To kind of get people acclimated, get them kind of set up, get them warmed up so that when the main act comes, that there, there was the, you know, the water was kind of getting stirred. John the Baptist is the opening act. But what's interesting as we look at this is that, that many people thought that John the Baptist was the act. Like he was preaching the word, he was laying down the law, like they thought he was the act. But we see that's not what he thought. Because you can hear the jealousy in their voices. John's disciples came and they're like, look, everybody's going over with, with this guy. John, John, we're like losing our followers to that guy over there, right? You can almost hear the jealousy. But look at this. To, John, to this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I was sent ahead of him. Like he knows his role look what he says here. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Now the bride, what we see in scripture, is the church. It's the people are going to come to follow, know, and love Jesus. The groom is Jesus. Like he's come to get his people, right? It says the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends to the bridegroom, waits and listens to him, is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice, is what he says. Almost this picture is so important. Jesus is the groom. The people that, the, the church, these, pe- these people that are with Jesus, like, they're, they're his bride. And what John is saying is that he's a friend of the bridegroom. John's saying, I'm the best man. And if, at a wedding, if you go to a wedding, and this is especially true at this time, who are you looking at the whole time? You're looking at the bride and you're looking at the groom. If the, if the best man is just like trying to make a huge deal of himself, everybody's like, that guy's got problems. This isn't about him. This is about the bride and the groom. But in this culture, the, 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 uh, the best man, so to say, the friend of the bridegroom, was almost the one who would help get everything ready, kind of coordinate, make sure the bride's ready to come, make sure the groom's ready to receive her. Almost like the wedding coordinator, right? That was the, that was the best man. And that's, that's John's role. I remember when Sarah and I got married almost 10 years ago. The night of the rehearsal, we had our programs, and we had a, uh, there was a, a couple was married, uh, the, the bride was one of the uh, bridesmaids, and, or the wife was one of the bridesmaids, and then the guy was one of my groomsmen, and they came to us uh, right after the rehearsal, and they're like, hey, just wanna let you know, uh, you forgot to put the brother of the bride in the program. He's in the wedding, his name's not on the list we'll take care of it for you, right? Like, like that, that, that's kind of responsibility of, the, of this crew. Like, like, don't you worry about it. Let me kind of handle it for you, right? This is your day. That's what John's doing. John's saying this is about Jesus. He is the groom. And look what he says. Look what he says. The friend, best man who attends to the bridegroom, waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the groom's voice. Look what John says. He's telling his disciples, his, John's disciples who are jealous. He says, that joy is mine and is now complete. And you may have heard this passage before. It's pretty, pretty popular. And he says, he must become greater. I must become less. Or so the NLT says, he must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. The ESV says, he must increase and I must decrease. I love that story. It's a story, but maybe not maybe I haven't even heard that whole story before. But the, this this picture that John kind of gives, this humility that John gives, he knows who he who he is, and he knows who Jesus is, gives us a template that we want to kind of follow and unpack here throughout this Christmas season. We're in this series called More and More. And we are simply asking. What does it look like for us to have the same heart and posture that John had and his desire to let the reality of Jesus continue to grow and expand and become a greater reality for us? He says, I must become less and less, this ongoing process, as Jesus ongoingly in my life becomes more and more. Because we know it's easy for oftentimes for us to kind of plateau, become complacent, to to settle, right? Uh, if you've ever been out west, there's, there's uh, the Gateway Arch in St. Louis. And now if you, the, the, you can actually go up in this. I've been up in this, and pff, I don't think I can do this now. If you're in this little tube, claustrophobia and heights. I'm like, I, no thanks. That was, I went 11 years ago, and that was about all that's going to happen. But the, the Gateway Arch in St. Louis, they say, is the gateway to the west, right? Like you go, like my friend and I did a trip, like we went from our house to the arch. Like that was the drive. And then we're like, we got to get there. And then we're starting to get out West. Right. So this is St. Louis, Missouri, right? Like not a place that you usually think of when you think of the West, but this is the gateway to the West. And now if I was somebody and I was saying, man, I just love going out West. If I'm having a conversation with somebody and they're like, where'd you go? And I'm like, St. Louis. And they're like, oh, okay. So did you see the, did you see the Grand Canyon? And I'm like, no, I did not. They're like, okay. Uh, did you make it to like the Pacific Ocean?" And I was like, no, no, I, I got a hotel in St. Louis. They're like, okay. So you didn't go like through Montana Plains, Redwood forests, out in the deserts, like make that whole drive, eat it in an out burger? I'd say no, no. I went through the arch and then I stayed the night in St. Louis. Like if I said I went out West, you'd be like, but did you really? Did you? If I didn't see the canyons, the redwoods, the mountains and I didn't endure the long rides, did I really go? Oftentimes in following Jesus, we we see what Jesus invites us into just as we just getting through the arch, just a prayer, just to get into heaven. I went, I got into heaven. I prayed the prayer. I went through the arch. I went out west. Or it's just us abstractly adhering to some beliefs and reality that really just deal with the afterlife and really have no, no bearing on our life. Now, what happens is, is, first off, I'm not sure that's what Jesus really invites us into. I'm not sure the story of the creator of the universe has invited us into this relationship with him just so we can just walk through the arch and sit down on the other side and just camp out in St. Louis our whole life. But we are robbing ourselves. When we don't go through the arch and continue out west, we're robbing ourselves of what John says is the joy that he experienced. He waits on and attends to the groom and he says, my joy is complete. But oftentimes we settle for just camping out in St. Louis. And I think what Jesus is inviting us to all through the scriptures is the joy and the challenge and the work and the blessing of following him. That is what this whole thing is about. Paul prays for the church in Philippi in a a, uh, similar way that they would continue to grow and love and understand their relationship with Jesus. He says this, I would underline this in your Bibles. Paul says, and this is my prayer to the church of Philippi, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, like that you like, understand the mechanics of this thing, but also in the depth of insight, like you see how this plays out in your life and in the lives of those around you, so that you may be able to discern, to live this life following Jesus, what is best, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, when Jesus is gonna come back that our lives would be filled with the fruit, we looked at this all summer, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. So that the ultimate goal of all this is that Jesus will get the praise and glory. Just like John the Baptist says, he says, oh, you guys are jealous? This is all about Jesus. And the brighter the lights are on him, the more full that my joy is. I love the NLT, same passage in a different translation. It says, I pray that your love, church, will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. Ah, that's so important that we be filled with the fruit, what comes from a life in Jesus. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus, that is our hope that Christ should be formed in us that we would be more like Jesus and less like ourselves. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. That's beautiful, right? And as we talk about more and more, oftentimes we like hope that just a conference or the right sermon or a missions trip or an experience will be the, the thing that changes us. But more and more is about small decisions. Maybe daily sacrifices. Maybe it's reordering my priorities. Maybe it's just rhythms I get into. Maybe it's mindsets that I have that daily turn us back to Jesus and that His love might increasingly overflow in us, that that might bring praise to Him. There's a business principle called the slight edge principle. And all it is is that now for business, it's like the success, but our life following Jesus If we want to have that joy John has here and now, if we want to attend, wait on the the groom, Jesus, there's not a silver bullet. But it's, how do I love and follow Jesus today? And then you wake up tomorrow, how do I love and follow Jesus today? And as we do that, we will steer our lives towards Jesus. It's the slight edge. It's not the silver bullet, but if I like, ah, I didn't read my Bible, and I haven't prayed, I need to get back to church, the, those small, seemingly insignificant things set us on a trajectory of our lives, right? And what we want to look at for the next, the next couple of weeks, as we kind of look at these areas in our lives, the questions we want to ask is, am I loving Jesus more and more? Am I loving Jesus more and more? This, am I loving who Jesus loved more and more? You look at the gospels, the life of Jesus, who did he interact with? Who did his heart break for? Am I loving those same people? And then Jesus was here. What did he live for? When I ask the question, am I living for what Jesus lived for more and more? And so today for a couple minutes, what I simply I want to do is just jump into uh, John's response to this conversation in verse 30, that he must become greater. This is our hope for today. Is just this, this very simple line. Maybe you've heard it a thousand times, but I want this just to sink into our hearts today. First is that he must become greater. Look what John says in verse uh, uh, 29. He says that the friend of the groom, best man, who attends the bridegroom, who waits. Almost this picture, attend, like you need anything? Hey, what's going on? Hey, I know I had something going on over here, but it's your day. I want to come over here and see if you need anything. See, is everybody ready? Like, what can I help with? Is there, are you thirsty? Like, right? He attends to the groom or he said attends or waits on him, right? Kind of, some translations say stands or kind of with, just with the groom, right? And I think this is all about our attention, that our attention must become greater. Our attention must become greater. I read a book called The Attentive Life past month and it's captured me, right? Because you think about just the way that our attention to something plays out today, right? that kind have of ADD attention deficit disorder right that we see that all of us are having short shorted attention spans like you know that's true someone goes to show you a video and it's 5 minutes you're like 5 minutes oh no right like we got short attention spans right we have endless distractions endless there's books and tips and hacks about how to get through your work day without being distracted right what does it have to do with it has to do with our attention right has to do with our attention. What if, as he says, this, this waiting on the bridegroom, this attending to the bridegroom, standing with the bridegroom, what if as we begin to let Jesus become greater in our life, it just simply begins with just looking to Jesus? to seeing Jesus, to focusing on Jesus. We can like pray while are running around. We can like hurry up and get through our Bible, get to church. And it's always kind of moving. And there's something about, you know this when you're, we have a conversation with someone, they're trying to talk to you, but you're packing a bag, you're putting dishes away, you're doing a thousand different things and you're talking to someone versus when you just look at them and you just stop and you just listen to them. And that person has your attention, Right? Like I don't know if we talk about the love languages a lot, you know acts of service and gifts and all this stuff. I think there's a lot a lot of people I think this is especially true with a lot of women. I get to marry a lot of people and oftentimes not all times, but there's this 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 uh quality time this love language has quality time, right like my wife loves quality time, and you know this if you're a husband, that sometimes like I had a lot of quality time, you know, I was fixing the car and you were kind of standing there for a little bit. Like, that's not quality time, right? Like, no, we had quality time. We were all in the van together, right? The kids were going nuts and we were together. Like, no, that's, that's not quality time. Why? Because, because you weren't paying attention. Like, your eyes you are on everything else. We weren't paying attention, right? There's a, uh, the author of that book, The Attentive Life. His name is Leighton Ford. He said, paying attention is not a way by which we make something happen but a way to see what is already given to us. And as we, Jesus becomes greater, I think it just starts with this, am I paying attention to Jesus? As you wake up, Jesus, you are with me today. Help me to give this day to you, Jesus, and just be aware that you are with me. Like just that simple prayer that when you, when you just, sometimes I sometimes I get irritable, right? I don't get a lot, I get up too early, don't sleep very much, have too much sugar probably. And, and I sometimes in, in my irritability and my frustration, you know, with kids or with my car, with whatever's going on, Jesus, you are present to me in this moment and just turning my eyes to Jesus. When there's something that happens, maybe, maybe at work or in a situation where I'm overwhelmed, I'm like, ah, is it, hold on, just 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 look at Jesus, man. That's where it starts, is what John says is attending to, standing with, waiting on the groom, Jesus. But he also says he waits on him and listens for him, right? This is so important that that my attention to him must become greater, but his voice in my life must become clearer, Right? His voice must become clear. If if we're easily distracted, there's also so much noise. Podcasts and songs and people's opinion and people coming out of the TV on the news network with their opinions and their thoughts and their takes on everything. And there's so much noise. What does it look like for Jesus's voice to become clearer? I am, and you might gain this from listening to me speak from time to time, I'm a mumbler. I mumble. My mom told me to enunciate when I was young. It has not yet happened. Right? Like we stopped talking on the phone a long time ago and we started texting. It was great. My mother and I, because I don't enunciate. You know, so growing up, I, I was kind of a mumbler. My teachers would kind of say, you got to enunciate. I can't hear what you're saying. Oftentimes in staff meetings, I'll I'll kind of throw something under the radar and it might get a giggle and Pastor Dan just looks at me because... That brother can't hear very well and I mumble and so he'll just look at me and be like, I don't know what you said, right? Like that happens quite some time. But oftentimes the reason I mumble is because what I'm saying is not that important. Like if I mumble, it's kind of a take it if you heard it, but it wasn't wasn't too important, right? It wasn't very clear. But with my children, if I'm disciplining them or if I'm communicating love to them or if I'm giving them instruction, I don't mumble. I'm very clear because I need you. I want you to do something. I want you to understand something. I need to communicate something to you, and it's important. Listen, the voice of Jesus is clear. Jesus did not mumble. Everything Jesus said, everything he displayed, everything he did, he was not mumbling. He was revealing the heart of God, and the question is, do we hear it? Are we listening? Are we listening? Matthew writes this. He said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish for no one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. They listen, they follow. He must become greater. I'm paying attention. I'm listening to what Jesus says. James says in the book of James, says don't be just hearers of the word. But hear it and do what it says. Jesus is inviting us into something. And this led for John, this wasn't like, you should do this because it's good for your health. When <laughs> you're growing up, my mom's like, eat that, it's good for you. I'm like, come on, mom, I'm still alive, had a lot of gummy bears, right? But this isn't because we should, but look what John says. The one who waits, the one who listens, is full of joy. When he hears the bridegroom's voice, and John says, that joy is mine. And is now complete. John was preparing the way for Jesus. And now Jesus is here. John's disciples are like, hey, we're getting jealous. And he's like, no, 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 man. This is what I've been waiting for. Attending to, listening to Jesus. He must become greater. An old missionary named William Carey said this. He says, when I die, don't talk about William Carey. Talk about William Carey's savior. I desire that Christ alone might be magnified. I love that because oftentimes when we talk about joy, we, we think that if I can get the glory, if I can get the attention, if I can look good, if I can get what I want, then that will produce joy. And you and I both know that's not the case, right? It, it may be for a second, but we know that's not the case. But John says it the opposite. He says, when Jesus gets the glory, that's where my joy is found. Because I think John knew who Jesus was and I think John knew that he needed Jesus and John's entire life was pointed towards Jesus. So when Jesus got the glory, when people went to Jesus, when people gave their lives to Jesus, healed by Jesus, baptized by Jesus and his followers, he goes, now I got my joy, right? Makes me, makes me think as we, as, we, as we pursue Jesus, as he must become greater and greater, more and more in our lives, makes me ask, like, why do we stop that journey? Why do we just camp out in St. Louis? Why don't we keep going? think sometimes we're just bored. I think sometimes we just get bored. I just uh, read, listened to a study that was recently done after the pandemic. You know why most people, like all these people are leaving church and stuff. You know why most people are leaving church disengaging? It's not because they're like deconstructing everything. Most people just moved. They had kids, had a life change got online during pandemic and just never kind of came back. Just kind of, you're like, oh yeah, just never, I gotta get, I gotta get back to that. Yeah, you know, kids kind of just messed up. Everything. I gotta get back to that. Like that's the main reason, right? I think sometimes if we have this, no, I got through the arch, man. I got through the arch, prayed a prayer. Yeah, no, we're good. I'll see you in heaven. Like if that, if that is what faith is, is just an afterlife experience and could have a bearing here and now, but doesn't much, wh- why not just do our own thing? if it's just about then and then and there and not here and now, and this is all optional. Like, I don't, what's the point? Like, I used to go do something else, right? We get bored. I think for some of us, it's pride, right? Like, we're like, I got my right theology, check. Like, I, I'm involved in a, in a group and Bible study, check. I tithe, check. So I, I kind of got what I need done. Like, what else do you need? Right? There to be kind of this pride. Like, we're doing pretty good, especially compared to my cousin, Right? I think for some of us, the reason we kind of stop following Jesus more and more is, for honest, sometimes it just doesn't simply feel like we got what was promised to us, right? Like, this stuff can hurt, right? Like, there could be pain involved. Like, I thought, I thought this would feel different. G- Jesus tells the story of the, the seeds. and the, the sower, he tells this parable. It says, the seed falling on rocky ground First, to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble, persecution comes, because of the word, they fall away quickly. I think that can be the case for some of us, right? Like ah, this hurts too much. I want this. I think for some of us, it's just a practicality, right? Like we're like, okay, Jesus thing might get me back on track. It might help me kind of be more focused, more disciplined. I need a little morality in my life. Like the Jesus, I want this to work. And when we start to follow Jesus, and you're like, man, my marriage is still hard. And people still aren't always nice, especially Christians, you know, you're like, like it helped me understand my past, but didn't heal all my baggage necessarily. It's like, man, I thought, I thought this was going to work a certain way. And, and it just doesn't feel practical, right? Sometimes it's like, I am gonna follow Jesus. because I think this will, this will give me the joy I'm looking for. Right. And Jesus is like, Hey, die to yourself, move out of your girlfriend's house and give your stuff away. And you're like, Jesus, I'm not a big fan of that. Like that, That feels foolish that feels foolish to me that doesn't feel very helpful we must become greater and the other side of this that john says so simple that we must become less i think we believe in our culture that resources are unlimited right like money's unlimited our time's unlimited everything is just unlimited right we don't know where (laughs) everything the trash can like it just disappears like i don't know where this stuff comes from or where it goes right well, a lot of cultures throughout time and in the world see resources and, and relationships and time not as infinite, but it's kind of like a pie, right? Like there's limited amounts of everything. And I think that's interesting because there's only so much. If you think about a pie chart, I tried to create a pie chart on like a website and it was harder than I thought. Like they wanted percentages and stuff. I'm like, I'll just use my hands, right? <laughs> that was a true story. And so you look at a pie chart, it's like, okay, like this is my family. This is my food. This is my exercise. and <laughs> a real small... But if something becomes bigger, inherently other ones are going to become smaller, right? Like if one slice of the pie is big, like if I take a big old slice of the pie, everyone else is getting a smaller slice of the pie. Like that's just how it, how it works, right? And so if Jesus is going to become greater in my life, if that slice of the pie is going to be bigger, then other slices of the pie inherently get smaller, right? Every yes to something. If I'm saying yes to something, I'm saying no to something else. Right? So if I'm saying yes to this, 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 I'm saying no to something. And it's worth asking ourselves, what's my yes and what's my no? What does it look like for us to decrease? What does it look like to begin to decrease? I think it starts with just the word humility. I have to see the decrease of, not myself, of myself. The decrease of, especially in our culture, myself. because begins inward, begins inside of us. We have to see ourselves less. Now, I'm not saying you gotta see yourself as trash. John, John didn't. We don't see that in here. Now, we have inherent value because we've been made in the image of a creator God, not based on our capacity or our ability or our beauty or, or what we bring to the table, not based on that. But the God of the universe made you, knit you together in your mother's womb, died for you, and invites you to follow him. So don't hear what I'm saying is like, you gotta think you're trash. No, no, no that's not what I'm saying. But I, as we, I know this is true in my own life. And as I have conversations with people, we're anxious, we're lonely. A lot of us are restless. And I think oftentimes, oftentimes, I think we think about ourselves too much. We have too many mirrors in our house, too many profiles. We have to type in our information, our likes, and it dislikes too many times. Like, if we're just staring at ourselves all the time, like... Am I doing this right? What What's my personality type? Am I where I should be? What do people think of me? Like we think about ourselves too much. And it's paralyzing, right? It's paralyzing. John found joy. He's like, this guy, forget me, this guy, right? He's forgetting about his self. Look at what, look at what John says in John 27, or John 3, verse 27. In this passage, he says, a person can only receive what's given to them, From heaven, you yourselves can testify that I said, "I'm not the Messiah," but I was sent ahead of Him. It's interesting. John knows who He is and He knows what to do. Look at he—he knew a person can only receive what's given them from heaven. He goes, "My position, my life, calling, what I'm doing was given to me." Like John the Baptist, like what he was going to do was foretold, right? Like very specifically. But this is true for us, right? We are made to be ambassadors, ministers of the gospel, partners with Jesus in the kingdom that He is bringing. But he's like, what I got is from Jesus. I know who I am. You could say, you, you know that I said this. I'm not the Messiah, but I was sent ahead of him. That's, that's what I'm here to do. My role, give me my God. I know who I am. I'm sent. I know what to do. And it creates this humility in him, right? It creates this humility that I think humility shows up as I have a growing awareness of my sin. That as Jesus becomes greater, as we become less, I have a growing awareness of my sin, right? I've used this analogy before. I heard it from Gordon McDonald, an old guy. And I, I think that it's such an important picture. You become, you start to follow Jesus. And you're like, there's some big rocks in my life. I got to deal with these rocks. Got to figure these things out, right? And then sometimes we're like, all right, we're good. Let's do this, right? But the longer that you follow Jesus more and more, I think Jesus constantly brings these rocks out of our life. Because what what Paul said to the Church of Philippians is want you to grow in knowledge and overbound in love more and more that you may be able to discern, that you may bear the fruit of righteousness, right? That your character may be formed. Like, that's pulling rocks out of our lives. Yeah, I haven't murdered anybody this week. Man, but I just always am frustrated with people. I'm always disappointed with people. I'm always like looking at the negative side. Like, Jesus, you pull a rock out of my life? Like no, I'm not like lying to people, but I, I am just always cynical. Man, I'm just always, no, no, I'm not, I'm not stealing nothing, but you know what? Every time I drop the ball, I just get so defensive, and I have to make sure people know, hey, no, that wasn't my fault, and when well, you know, you don't do a better, I'm anyway, always defensive, like Jesus, get these. Like more and more, I become aware of the sin that that dwells within me that I wasn't even aware of before. I think that's part of what what us becoming less, it means it's just growing awareness of my sin. And as I am aware of my weakness, my ever-growing awareness of my weakness, what I become aware of is that I have a Savior who's stronger than I realized. See that? That I think, I think as I become less and less, I become aware of my limits, right? Like I remember not even long ago, I was not like I'm not old, I'm getting old, but about 10 years ago, when I started this job, I'm like, I want to figure out how to be a worship leader. I want to be a video guy. And I got to play the guitar. And I want to play the piano. And I want to be a graphic designer. And I want to write really well. And there's all these things I wanted to do, right? And I'm like, I'm going to do all of them. And just as I've got older, I'm like, yeah, I'll pick like one of them, one and a half of them. Let's focus on that, figure that out, right? But there, there's this growing awareness in my limits that I can't do everything. I can't solve everything. I can't please everybody. And I don't say this in like a flip it, like, just do you. You can't. That's what I'm saying. But I think sometimes in this journey of following Jesus, we, we instantly just jump into what do I got to do more of? Like I got to do more, more, more of something, like more Bible study I do. And I, I honestly think it begins with like, let me just reduce some things in my life. I think it begins with, with removing things from my life, embracing like the limits. Like this is how much time I have. These are the relationships that I want to, and I need to invest in, that I have like agency over my life. This is this is a profitable use of my time. Like I I, I want to I have limits. I can only do so much. And as I embrace my limits and embrace the fact that I can't do everything, I can't be everything to everyone because I'm not Jesus. And as I become okay with the fact that maybe I'll never do that, maybe I'll never go to this place, maybe I'll never have this experience, I'll get rid of "you only live once" and throw that out because that's just a lie. And as I embrace my limits and all these things, I can find contentment in Jesus. Oh, there's one more experience. I just got to get in. Nah, no, I don't. Oh, but I have to travel. I have to see these things. If I don't, my life is going to be boring. Mm, that's okay. My contentment's in Jesus, not in how amazing my life is, whatever that looks like to me, right? Growing awareness of my limits. And I think it also looks like a growing awareness that I am not in control. Like you do see this picture, like John's disciples are like, Man, John, like, look what's going on. And he's like, it's okay. Like he almost consents, is like, that's okay. This is the guy. I'm not. It's not about me. Some of you are halted in your relationship with Jesus because you just can't let go of control. What ends up happening is we end up suffocating, quenching the spirit of what God wants to do in our lives because we want to be God. And as my trust in Jesus, my reliance on Jesus, my commitment to Jesus increases, my need to control everything decreases. I think control often is just a matter of faith. Like, do I trust Jesus or not? I think oftentimes our need for control shows us that we don't, right? Like, I would love to decrease Jesus, but I can't because this might fall apart. And if we hold on, he won't become greater and greater. But as I realize that I am not God, I'm not in control, I can't I can't change other people, let alone myself, all right? Then it, it helps you realize that that Jesus is working all things together. He's working all things together. And me holding on the control isn't isn't changing much, right? That first thing that I think what it looks like to decrease is to see myself less to practice humility and then this is I, I wanna be as simple as I can. Sometimes I, I, I'm scared that I just throw a little theology at you, a couple of quick facts, you're like, ooh, I felt good, I'm growing. I just, for, for me, I think the, the, this this message today has been my journey for this last year. And, and I think one of the things that we have to pay attention to as we decrease is just looking at our own practices, looking at the pie chart of my life. I heard someone say this last week, that your habits lead your heart. And you know that's true, that you know that's true. Your habits lead your heart. If If all you do is take in media that causes fear, you'll be scared. If all you do is take in media that always, if I'm just spending all my time on the Amazon app, you're just going to always be wanting more, right? Like what I spend my time on is going to lead my, my heart. And as we next week head into the Christmas season, I think of the, the hymn, the carol, Joy to the World, let every heart prepare him room. John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus. Are we preparing room in our hearts? and That, that can be a spiritual thing that absolutely is practicing humility that thinking of myself less, but it's also just practicing following Jesus in my life. Like, look at the pie chart of your life. Like, where does your time go? Because I think sometimes, you know how when you have a busy season, and I'll say this to Sarah all the time, like, Sarah, as soon as I get past this week, then then we got a lot of time. I just need to get past, there's always this putting off to like some future on when I'm gonna begin to manage my time better, Right. Like that can happen with following Jesus. Like, okay, yeah, I gotta follow Jesus. Obviously not today because there's a lot going on, but like, I think next week I'm really gonna start. And it's always this like one day thing. Like Jesus wants our lives. So it's like, where does my time go in my life? Like how much time am I, sp- am I on my phone? Or just like, like look at your screen time report. That's a good place to start. That'll be a humbling thing. You're, if you have an iPhone, if you have an Android, I don't know, you're on your own, good luck. But If you have an iPhone, give you a screen time report. I'll just say, start there. Where is your time going? Right? Like out with time like am I spending time with people? We're going to look at this in a couple couple weeks like am I loving who Jesus loved? Am I with people, right? Like am I spending time to love Jesus? Am I with Jesus? Am I paying attention to him? Right? Do I have this time? Where is your time go? Where do your words go? Are you someone who's just always complaining? James calls it useless chatter, which is like uselessly talking about things that don't matter all the time, right? Like, what do you talk about? Is all I talk about sports? Is all you do complaining? Is all you do is talk about your kids, right? Is all you do talk about your car? Like, whatever it is, like, what am I always talking about? Like, what does that pie chart look like in my life, right? Am I asking questions of other people? And when I'm with people and I'm like, I, I want to ask, I want to learn about, like, I talk a lot, right? Like, I'm holding the mirror up here. Like, where where are my words going? I think it's one of the simplest thing. where' Where is my money going, Right? Like, do I, we talked about this a couple weeks ago in Ephesians, like, am I just working so I can get the stuff I want? Like, what does it look like to let Jesus become greater and greater by my bank account, right? I remember when I first got married, uh, I was an intern. So you're not like, you know, going to the beach. or something. And I remember uh, having a conversation with my, I think my, my dad, and I said something like, I forget the number, I'm like, we're going to start here with kind of, you know, giving and stuff. And then I can, we'll kind of work our way up. And my dad real casually was like, that's cool. Uh, just so you know, it's always a sacrifice. <laughs> you know, it's like, whether you make 10 bucks and you give this percent or you make a billion to give this, it's always a sacrifice. And it almost, you're like, how am I inviting Jesus into my, my bank account, into my money in all the different areas of my life? Like generosity to people, right? Like there's almost this invitation to release control. Like Jesus talks about money a lot. Like, what, what are the filters that my decisions go through? What am I dreaming about? Like, all these aspects of who you are is what Jesus wants. He wants your joy to be complete. Am I waiting on attending to him? And as he becomes greater, like, I got to look at the pie chart in my life. And if Jesus can become greater, what, what slice of the pie in my practices has to get smaller? What does that look like? Now, as we end, I'll be honest, my my fear is that you'll listen to today and you'll be like, all right, I got to do some stuff. I got to sign up. Where do I sign up for something? I'll sign up. Like that's, that is my fear. And this more and more concept is not just more and more stuff in your life. Like I'm not trying to jam more stuff into your pie chart. My desire for us is that, my desire for myself, for my own family is that like John, that I'd have a joy that is complete in Jesus because I waited on Jesus. I attended to Jesus. I listened to Jesus as I got myself out of the way. Because what John says is as, as he becomes greater, we become less and less. This is what John says. But, but this is so important for some of you. We hear us talk about the gospel. We talk about church. We talk about, talk about the cross. And it's like, that's cool, man. And oftentimes it feels very small to us, right? And if all if we're just if we're just gonna just camp out in St. Louis, the cross will be very small. The work of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the love of Jesus will just be a cute, nice little thing. And if I just give him an hour on Sunday, and if I just say sorry when I don't, like the cross stays small. But as I see the depth of my sin and I see the magnitude of his grace, the cross gets bigger and bigger. See how that works? Like as I invite Jesus into my marriage and my relationships and I reorient my life around him and let him become more and more, take up residence in more and more areas of my heart, prepare my heart, let him make room in my heart. See how the cross gets bigger and bigger. As I, as I wrestle with forgiving someone, as I let his forgiveness become greater and greater in my response, my emotions, my bitterness come less and less we see the cross get bigger and bigger. Oftentimes, as we talk about following Jesus, we only see the top line. You just got to do more stuff. You just got to go more places, sign up more. And that's not what it is. It's letting myself become less, that he might become greater. And as that happens, the cross gets bigger and bigger. My friend, this is what it means to become a disciple of Jesus. And that is what this is all about. Everything we talk about, whether it's the fruit of the Spirit, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's understanding the scriptures, whatever it is, it's all about am I becoming the person that Jesus wants me to become? Is He producing this character in me? Is He making me more like Him, transforming me? That's what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, to bend our lives to Him. That's what it means that's what it means to be a disciple. It's not just a book you go through. It's not a program that we run, right? It's not just a box to check, but it's reordering everything that his love may overflow in me more and more. A disciple is someone who loves Jesus, attends and waits, listens to Jesus, who loves and follows Jesus more and more. And so for the next couple of weeks, that's simply what we want to do. We just want to ask ourselves, what does it look like to become a disciple of Jesus as we reorient our hearts to him? Jesus, we love you. I pray that you would help us to have the same heart that John had, that he didn't want the glory, but he wanted to give it to you, Jesus. That his joy was found in listening to and waiting on you. Jesus, as we specifically kind of head uh, this week into the Christmas season, help us just become supremely aware of the fact that you are with us. Help us just to pay attention to you. And in all of our lives, whether we're listening and we are retired, single, married, in high school, exploring you, wherever we are at, Jesus, our prayer is that you might become greater and that we might become less. And so wherever anybody is in their, in their walk of life, I pray that you would reveal what that looks like for them that they might be intentional to look at the pie chart of their life and to see where it is that you are leading them. We love you, Jesus. It's because of your grace we pray. Amen.